Welcome to the teaching ministry of pastors Carl and Cheryl Thomas. Our favorite verse is Habakkuk 2.14, where the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Consumed by that revelation, we are committed to recognizing, resourcing, and releasing high-impact ministries resulting in global glory, transforming lives to impact their world. We have a teaching that will impact you today. Now, let's get right into that word. All right, so how many are enjoying our journey through the first book of John? I am. It's really good. And I don't know about you, but there's a lot of talk about love in the book of John, so I just thought I'd bring a couple quotes about love. Love is a thing that enables a woman to sing while she mops up the floor after her husband has walked across it in his barn boots. Love can change a person the way a parent can change a baby, awkwardly and often with a great deal of mess. Love is hiding who you are at all times. It's wearing makeup to bed, going downstairs to the Burger King to poop. <laughs> when I first got married, I wouldn't go to bed without makeup on. Or if I did wash my face before bed, I got up first thing in the morning to make sure I put my makeup on before he got up. But that was, that was a long time ago. <laughs> Love is telling someone their hair extensions are showing or they got lettuce on their tooth. Love is being married. It's so great to find that special one person you can annoy for the rest of your life. <laughs> love doesn't make the, girl, the world go round. Love is what makes a wor uh, the ride worthwhile. So we're talking about John, and we're talking about this epistle of love and how John challenged us to love. And so the title of my sermon today is The Actionable Love of God. So we've had a lot of, we've had Zach share in this epistle and Pastor Carl and myself, and so you'll hear, you'll see a bit, of a different um, approach to it today and a little bit of uh, variety. And I really like that we have that kind of variety in the house. It kind of switches things up and give you something, you know, to look forward to in someone else's window on how they view scripture. And so I'm just going to do a little bit of recap. And I didn't do PowerPoint because I hate doing PowerPoint because I always mess it up. And so I just don't do PowerPoint. Sorry, but the notes are online. And if you do have and you find all my mistakes, I'm sorry about that too because there's lots of spelling mistakes. You know that one from and form? All the time. Okay, so what have we learned from the epistle of John? We've learned that one John was a personal letter written 2,000 years ago to a very specific group of people, different audiences, different issues being addressed, but it's all the same letter. So he's addressing a lot of different things, but there, there is a variety of people who are gonna listen to the letter that John wrote. This is written for us, but is not written to us. And that's really something that you have to keep in mind when you're reading John, because it can leave you quite confused at times. It was written for us, but it was not written directly to me. You know, it was written uh, uh, to a specific group of people. We know, and this is what Zach said a couple weeks ago, and I like this a lot. He says, we know that applying the wrong filter when we're reading John can do the opposite of assuring us it can actually create religious anxiety. So I don't know about you, but if you've done just um, a, a, a fresh approach to John or just looked at John straight up, I'm in love, I'm not out of love, I show love, I don't show love, my father's God, my father's the devil. You can leave John uh, feeling very, very confused, but we have to make sure that we approach it with the proper context and the proper filter. We know that the interpretive key that we need to understand when reading John is in found in 1 John 5, verse 13. It says, I am writing to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know. 
And so John is trying to communicate something. He wants to assure you of the things that you know. And the ones, get to, the ones who get to know are the ones who believe. And so we have to remember, Zach brought it up a couple of weeks ago. He says, John's letter is descriptive, not prescriptive. And so he's trying to describe who the children of God look like and not trying to prescribe a specific action that we need to behave with. We know that John was the brother of James, the son of Zebedee, and that Jesus referred to him as the sons of thunder, probably for their quick temper and their impetuous disposition. If you read through any of the Gospels, you'll find that uh, uh, John got upset once when a group of people who weren't with them were casting out demons. Uh, he wanted to call down fire when people wouldn't welcome them into their city, and he wanted to sit beside Jesus at his throne. It was a very special request of his own. So when I read First John with this lens and realize that he was one of the sons of thunder, it helps to give context to his diatribe or his, critical, his critique of those who are coming into the church. And given his temperament, it shouldn't surprise us that he would make a thunderous, thunderous denunciation of those who would infiltrate and threaten his family and his church. John, the apostle of love, the son of thunder, fought to preserve the truth of God, and he fought with zeal and fervency. He may be the apostle of love, but make no mistake, he is not a weak man. His writing is bold, direct, dogmatic, authoritative, and affirming all at the same time. Uh, John uh, uses, he adopts this kind of uh, uh, language where it says we and they. So every time he says we, it's usually a uh, statement of affirmation. When he says they, it's usually something to criticize the infiltrators who had come into his church. So John wrote this letter with two basic purposes in mind. One, to expose false prophets and teachers, and two, to give the believers assurance of their salvation. The function is to strengthen and reassure the body of Christ by demonstrating that they are immune to their opponent's denial of a Christological confession. So he's trying to say, he's trying to denounce their, um, their teachings that Jesus wasn't fully God or wasn't fully man. And so he, that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to assure that body of people. And so how does the son of thunder, John, assure his flock? And he uses some really interesting vernacular and language when he writes 1 John. He addresses them all the time. When he's addressing his friends, he says, dear friends, children, and beloved. And so that's not language he used to chastise someone or criticize them. And he also is, uh, chooses language like, we know. That phrase, we know, is used, depending on the translation you're reading, is used over 14 times in those short, like 300 phrases. He says, we know. He says, we know that we know him. We know that these are the last days. We know that when he appears, I'll be like him. We know that we have passed from death to life. We know that we are of the truth. We know that he abides in us. We know that we love the children of God. We know that he hears us. We know that whoever is born of God doesn't sin. We know that we are of God. We know that the Son of God has come. We know him that is true. And we know um, that in, in God is eternal life. So John says all of these statements, we know, we know, we know, we know. And he really approaches the body of Christ there with very affirming language. But when he's dealing with the false teachers, he's very critical and very loud. Every we know is an affirmative, positive statement of who Christ is and who we are in Christ. We know that John is contesting an early form of Gnosticism in the church. We know that, not, we know that Gnosticism leads to uh, legalism and license. Pastor Carl brought that in a few weeks ago. 
So for me, when I think about legalism and license, which is like two, um, I guess, two functions of Gnosticism, both have inherent in them severe sociological problems. When I think about legalism, I think about license, they have sociological impacts on the community of Christ. And what happens is Gnostics separate themselves from the world in two ways. They create spiritual elites and they create those who reverse dominant social values. So they create an us and them all the time. You know, I have super revelation and you're just not there yet. Or my body doesn't matter so I can do whatever I want with it. So Gnosticism creates schisms and division and, and separates people from one another. Amen? So causing, and this caused confusion in the body of Christ. There was a split in the body of Christ there. And it is within this context that John is writing 1 John. John assures his audience that Jesus was manifest and that we can experience him fully. We can enjoy fellowship with him. We have an anointing that abides. We have forgiveness and we have an advocate even if we trip up. The message, uh, John confirms that the message we heard is powerful. It's recreative and uh, it has the inherent power of God to make me into a new creation and free me from sin's power. John assures his audience that his love isn't being tested but approved because the love of God is in me, so I naturally love. And so John's not chastising people because they're not loving. He's assuring them that they are loving. Do you want me to change microphones? Because pop, 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 pop. Yeah, thanks. Uh, uh, Pastor Carl's just said to turn this up again. John assures his audience that God is our father, that he has given us a new nature, and he won't let me continue as sin, and that's why I have an anointing that abides in me. He assures his audience that when I do sin, it doesn't change my nature. I'm just acting outside of my nature and not behaving like my regenerated self. He says in his letter that even if my heart condemns me, that God is greater than my heart and knows my heart. Isn't that great? You know, when I blow it and think, oh, well, I said sorry, God, and my heart still condemns me, I thank God that his heart is, his, his heart is greater than mine and he doesn't condemn me because he knows my heart. Isn't that, that's so fantastic. I love that. We know that John's letter, like I said before, is a prescription for Christian living, not a description. It happens because we get placed in Christ. We know that God is committed to not just possessing his nature, or not you just possessing his nature, but actually expressing his nature. So we're going to read John chapter 1, verse 4 to 7 now. And I'll probably speed read. Sorry about that. All right. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but rather that he has loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. I love that, that when we manifest that God's love is in us, it's actually giving people permission to see the face of God. Isn't that great? We know that we we live in him and he's in us because he has given his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he is in God. And we know and rely on God's love for us. God 
God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among you so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love because perfect love drives out or casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment and the one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says I love God but hates his brother, he's a liar. For if anyone who does not love his brother, who he can see, how can he love God who he can't see? And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love one another. So today I just want to focus in that scripture primarily on the love of God, okay? And what God's love looks like. Uh, William Barclay, uh, a theologian and scholar, says that love answers, God's love answers the questions of creation, free will, and redemption. He said it explains creation in that God's love God is love and therefore cannot live in isolation. If you are a loving person, it's really impossible to live on your own. You need people around you. So God is love explains creation because he needed to create people to love. So love requires that there be a benefactor God and beneficiaries, and that's us. God's love explains free will in that unless love is a free response, it is not love. And God made a deliberated act of self-limitation and endowed us with free will. Isn't that great? Yeah. I love that. God's love explains redemption in that he had to seek and save that which was lost. And he had to be the remedy for a sin. God is the definition of love. And he is the source of love. From God we learn that love isn't just a mere sentiment, but it actually involves an act of our will. Love is a verb and love is actionable. God not only told us of his love, but he showed us his love by the divine act. He says, um, because he laid down his life, we ought to lay down our life. So God's love is actionable. It's not just mere sentiment. It's actually actionable. And we know this because he sent his son, Jesus Christ, as a propitiation for our sins. Amen? Amen. Theologian Karl Barth insists that God's love is not abstract definition that we can fill in whatever we want to say. So when the scripture says God is love, it doesn't mean that we have the right or the privilege or really even the capacity to try and define that of our own terms. God defines his love on his own terms, and he did that through the self-sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. God has defined himself in the life and the actions of Christ. God has defined love in the life and the actions of Jesus Christ. And that love acts when I didn't deserve it, and it's totally transformative. Amen? Yes. Romans 5 verse 8 says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Jesus Christ to die for us while we were yet sinners. So how does John, in his epistle, illustrate actionable love of God? He affirms that God's love is personal and particular, that it's proven, that it perfects, that it permeates, and that it preserves. It's personal and particular. Verse 9 says, God showed how much he very personal, loves us by sending his one and only son so that we might have eternal life. There's a transaction taking place there. He is showing so that we are receiving. Amen? Augustine said this. He says, he loves each one of us as if we were, there was only one of us. And the first characteristic of God's love is that it's very personal. And so I love that you know, people say that God loves nations and the world, but he loves me too. Yeah. And I love that God got personally involved in my redemption and my salvation. Yeah. It says that he sent a son so that we might have life. Yes. Amen. Uh, what is meant by personal? We say something is personal when it involves relationship. 
particularly a binding, transactional, or socially acknowledged relationship. If something involves actual presence or interaction with another individual, it is deemed personal. We may describe something as personal if it involves our private life, our most intimate thoughts, or our emotions, or when someone touches us. God is a very personal God. There is sociological benefits to him sending his son. There are, uh, there's a transaction that takes place, and it's very particular. He did it so that we can receive it. Amen? God refers to himself in the context of human relationships. Can you open me a water? Sure. He is personal and particular. <clears throat> he doesn't just say, I'm God. He says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's, uh, he's involving himself in human relationship. I am the God of Abraham, Abraham, <laughs> Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the God of Stephen Henry. I am the God of Carl Thomas. I am the God of Terry Dewan. I am the God of Mira D'Souza. God is personally involved in, in relationship. And when God's love, when we say God's love is personal, it is personal. Yes. There is a transaction that has taken place. He gave, I receive. And it is transformative and it has touched me emotionally and socially. Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, David Noggle says this, God is lovingly loyal and loyally loving to the works of his hands. He loves what he is committed to, and he is committed to what he loves. Amen. God is loyal and loving to me. God has bound himself to us. There has been a transaction. It has been particular, it is personal, and it is completely knowable, and it touches every part of our being. Amen? So God's Love is personal. John defines it as personal. He showed so that we can have. God's love is proven. That means established, demonstrated, verified, and confirmed. Love isn't just about how we feel, but what we do, and it requires action. It was demonstrated through behavior, and the love of God is without sex exception. He proves his love. Proof one, he sent his son. Yeah. Amen? Proof two, he gave us the Holy Spirit. Yeah. He says that God's in this is the love of God made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us. He sent his son. We know that. It's verifiable. It's proven. There's eyewitness testimonies. There's 2,000 years of historical references to people's lives who have been transformed and changed by the fact that Jesus Christ came, he lived, he was, di he, he was died, he died, he was buried, and he was resurrected. Amen? Proof one, the son came to demonstrate the God's love. Proof two, he gave us the Holy Spirit. Why? To assure us that we belong to him. Yeah. Amen? It says in verse 13, God has given us his spirit as a proof that we live in him and him in us. Furthermore, we have seen it with our own eyes. And so there's another couple of verifications right there. The Apostle John is saying, I've seen God move. I've seen the Holy Spirit. I've seen what God does. I've seen the miracles. I, I, I testify that Jesus was raised from the dead. And then we've also personally ourselves, another transaction being given the person of the Holy Spirit to dwell on the inside of us. John 1, 2, 27 says this. No, 1 John 2, 27. 
You have received the Holy Spirit who lives in you. Pastor Carl talked about we have an anointing that abides in us yeah. and that we have a new father. Amen. Yeah. He has identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, the guarantee that he will give you a full inheritance. Ephesians chapter 2. Romans 8.15 says this. You have received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Amen. God's love is personal. It's particular. There's a transaction taking place. God's love is proven. It's proven in the fact that Jesus Christ came and laid down his life. And it's proven in the fact that God has given us the Holy Spirit so we can have empowered lives to look like God. Amen. Amen. It's perfecting. Verse 12 says this. No one has ever seen God but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Verse 18 says this, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear because fear has punishment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. There's actually two words used for perfect in that scripture. They're very close in uh, how they look, but they're actually two words. One is, um, I'll never say it right, so Stephanie, if you're here and you've studied Greek, don't criticize me. It says, love is perfected in us, and it's teleo. I think that's right. And that means it's a process that is being worked in us to carry us through to completion, bringing one's expression of God's love that resides in them into perfection. So it's not that I'm trying to do something. It's the fact that the love of God is working on the inside of me to make my love perfect like his love is perfect. Amen? And that I become an expression of that love. Verse 18 about the fear there's no love in fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. And that's actually the word uh, uh, talieos. And that means love casts out all fear because it's perfect. What kind of love? God's love. How is it described? Perfect. Complete, consummate, lacking nothing, full, grown, and mature. God's love was made perfect, brought to maturity by the life and the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. That is a perfect demonstration of love. Yeah. That is a perfect demonstration of the fact that God is love, and that is the most profound statement you will ever read in the New Testament scripture. Mm. Amen? God is love, and he shows how perfect his love is in that he sent his son Jesus Christ. Amen. So what does that love do? It casts out all fear. And so that word uh, cast out is balo, throws down with force. Oh. <laughs> so God, sorry, I could have hit you. <laughs> so that love throws out fear. And actually it has another word that love smites, oh, casts out all fear. <laughs> So that's what the love of, it is a violent action on the part of God. It's a violent transaction. That perfect love of God, it throws out fear and it smites out anything fearful or anything that make you would think you were going to be punished or any fear of judgment. It is perfect love. Amen. Are you okay? <laughs> God's love is able to violently and with force displace fear. Amen? Yeah. God's love makes you perfect in love, fully grown, mature, wanting nothing, and complete. Zach said it like this, you, the process you are on is one of manifesting the real true you, of manifesting and revealing the union you have with Christ. Right. The perfect love of God is in us, working so that we too are becoming the manifestation of God's love. Free to love God without fear, and free to love others, and become the face of God to those who surround us. Amen? Yeah. 
In Ephesians 4.13, it says this, and God's love is such, wow, I'll be done pretty quick. And God's love is such that he will supply us with everything we need in order to grow up spiritually. He has given me his perfect love. He has given me his Holy Spirit. And I will grow up to be a perfect manifestation of the God is, God is love. Amen? It pervades. That means floods, saturates, saturates and encompasses. Uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 5 says, Because the love of God has been abundantly poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. In the King James Version, it says, The love of God has been spread abroad in our hearts. I'm going to do a little object lesson. You can thank God for, you know, 10 years of teaching Sunday school and object lessons. So, hold on. Okay. <laughs> Personal, transactional love. It's proven love. It's perfect love. Okay. Okay, this is me. I'm a lump of clay. Paul refers to us as, as clay. So I'm a lump of clay. So this is the love of God. It's food coming. Just in case you can't see from back there. Red, of course. So God, me, this lump of clay, God comes and he has spread abroad in my heart the love of God. Can y'all, I'm loud enough, aren't I? Okay. So God has spread abroad in me his love. It's, it, he has smeared me with his love. Now at the beginning it may look like this love isn't having too much of an effect. Whoops. But because I'm abiding in him, see the world comes around and it smushes this lump of clay, but it's amazing how the Holy Spirit just makes me to look fully, I might need a bit more love. <laughs> no, not, not that kind of love. But you see what's happening? The love of God the love of God is being worked into me. And, you know, I can't do that of my own accord. That has to be an external sort of internal thing that's happening with me. God is taking the circumstances of my life and he's allowing the Holy Spirit to minister to me to allow those things to look like I have the love of God spread abroad, smeared in my heart. Amen? So my... So I no longer look like that bland lump of clay, but now I can look like the love of God. It's pervading. It, it encompasses me. It infiltrates my life. And it is incredibly transformative. Hold on to this. Thank you. Thank you, Vanna. <laughs> God's love is perfectly working in me, bringing me to completion. And it pervades, it invades, it infiltrates every aspect of my life. So that there comes a day, and there is a day, and there, I am in that day now where I begin to look like the love of God. So the love of God is personal in particular. The love of God is proven in that he sent Jesus and gave us the Holy Spirit. The love of God is perfecting me and making me to look like himself. But the love of God pervades me. And it goes and infiltrates every aspect of my life. Amen? This love obliterates guilt, condemnation, and fear. Isn't that great? 
God's love is preserving. In verse 17, it says this. Oh, stink. I am really going to be done fast. Verse 17 says this. You could have talked longer if you wanted to, Pastor Carl. <laughs> verse 17 says that maybe I should, you know, just work this a little bit longer. Verse 17 says this. As we live in God, we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence. Jesus said this, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My father which gave them to me is greater than I and no man is able to pluck them out of my hand. The love of God keeps me safe and the love of God preserves me. Amen? I have another illustration. So I'm a beat and you all are beats with me today, okay? And we're all beats preserved in this jar, okay? This is really deep, so pay attention. The jar is Jesus Christ. I am in Christ. And all us beats are in Christ. And the preserving liquid or the preserving um, component in my life is the love of God, and that's all the juicy stuff, amen? We are in Christ, the jar. All of us beats individually and corporately, and the love of God is the thing that preserves us. It keeps me safe until the day of judgment. Amen? If I hadn't popped this, this jar of beets would have lasted a really long time, maybe till judgment day. But now I've popped them, we have to eat them. <laughs> but God's love is preserving. It preserves us. Amen? Until the day of judgment. So that, you know, when I think about Jesus coming back, there's no fear, there's no guilt, there's no condemnation because I know I'm in Christ and that his love preserves me and keeps me safe so that I can face him with confidence and with assurance. Amen? How oh, you like that? <laughs> Romans 8, verse 38 to 39 says this. I am convinced that nothing can separate me from the love of God, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, and no matter what plot the enemy assaults you with. You know, we, we sing that song, um, um, this is how I fight my battles. I'm, I may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. You know, when the devil comes at you with one demon, he flees in seven different directions because of the love of God, amen? So neither angel nor demon, our fears for today or our worries for tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God and his love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate me from the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. His love is incorruptible. His love is eternal, and his love is unchanging. Yeah. Amen? Now, Paul says nothing can separate me from the love of God. To separate is a, a term we use in marriage, or a, and it says uh, what God has joined together, let no man separate. He will be my father for better, for worse, whether I'm rich or poor, or whether I'm strong or weak in faith. He will never, never leave us nor forsake us. He will always provide for us. He will always love us. His love is not based on what we do or who we are, but his love is based completely upon his own character and nature, and that is love. God did not send his son to die on the cross just to prove that he loves us, but he sent Jesus to save us. God's love for us that wants to preserve us, to save us, and bring us home. Amen? He can't throw me out. How can he? He lives in me. He'd have to throw himself out. He cannot deny himself because he lives in me, so therefore he'd have to deny himself. In God, I am in a win-win scenario. 
In Jeremiah 31, 3, it says this, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued in my faithfulness to you. Jeremiah 31, 6 says this, he will never quit loving you. He just never will. You can expect love, love, and more love. Any fear of judgment is lost in his perfect love. When I am in him, then I have love. And I have God, so I can say, Cheryl is love. Because that's what we should say. Cheryl is love because I am a child of God. Amen? Amen. So I just, I want to say something after, but I just want Cheryl to sing this uh, chorus. I don't know if it's up there or not. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I found leaves in 99. I couldn't earn it, I don't deserve it, till you give yourself away. it out. It comes in and it displaces everything that is not of him, that doesn't express his unlimited, unchangeable love for you. Amen? And so what's our response to that today? Your response should be, just take it. You know, if you're here today and you have never received or even said, I believe that that love is for me, you just need to receive it today like any other gift. God's love is a gift to us. Jesus Christ is a gift to us. Just receive it. Amen? Everybody stand. It chases you down. (laughs) 
So you might be here today and you might not get it, but I'm telling you, the love of God will chase you down. <laughs> it will chase you down until you just go, okay, God, I, I surrender, I give up. I, I just want you. You know, his love is personal. He died for nations, but he died for you. He proved his love because he came and he gave us the Holy Spirit. We know that his love um, is perfecting us. We know that his love pervades every aspect of our lives. And we know that he wants to preserve us in that. So we have no fear of judgment or nothing. You just need to receive his love today. And so I'm just going to ask you to do me a favor. I'm going to count to three. If you've never received God's love or had it expressed in your life or felt in your life today, I invite you today to receive God's love. Don't leave here without receiving it. I'm not going to ask you to join a church or, or anything or jump through hoops. I just want you to experience the reckless love of God because he loves you. So I'm going to count to three. If you've never received God's love, I just want you to put up your hand and we're going to pray together, okay? One, two, three, put up your hand if you just want to experience and receive God's love today. And you've never done that before. Well, let's just pray this together, okay? Father, I thank you that your love is personal. I thank you that a transaction has taken place. Jesus came, I give him all my stuff. And it gives nothing, me nothing but love, love, and love. And so, Father, I receive that love today. And I receive the down payment of the Holy Spirit guaranteeing me that I'm adopted by God. In Jesus' name, amen. And so my challenge for you all is that you are God's love. Amen? When God says, when it says God is love, for me, it means that God is transforming me to the image of Christ, which means I should be able to say with confidence that Cheryl is love, that Carl is love, that Pat is love. Amen? Because the love of God lives on the inside of you, and it is transforming your very life and perfecting in you the perfect love of God. Amen? So go love someone. Actually, just love yourself for a change. But go love someone, amen? Bless them and realize that you live out of the abundance of the love of God that is in your life, amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. I thank you that you come to us, Jesus, and I thank you, Father, that you are changing our lives. And we just pray that as we go out into the world and we would just be the love of God manifest, to everyone around us. I thank you, God, that I am not condemned by John's letter, but I am assured of the things I know. And what I know is that God is love and that he loves me. And if he loves me, I can love others. So God, bless us in our journey. Bless us with the people that we touch every single day. And let them experience the manifest love of God in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. So if uh, we have prayer every Sunday, so I just welcome the prayer team or the elders or whoever is assigned to come up. And, and you know, if you want to experience this love of God, I know that these people will pray for you and, and just believe with you that the Holy Spirit will be manifest in your lives so you can have a tangible expression of the love of God and the life of God on the inside of you. God bless you.